0: This is Lee McBride and you're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. I travel this fine country as a storyteller and growing up as a kid, I had two heroes, my dad and Jerry Clower. And I fell in love with the power of telling a story at a very young age. And as I travel the country, I meet ordinary people with extraordinary stories all the time. That's what this podcast is about, just sharing other people's stories. Thanks, sit back, and enjoy the Hidden Hook Podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by my friend James Barnes, chartered life underwriter in Macon, Georgia. James is in the life insurance and retirement business and helps clients understand their options and achieve their goals. Did you ever put off doing something just simply because you didn't understand it? James can help you make sense of the insurance and investment products that can help you protect yourself and your family from a financial shortfall. He believes in doing what's right. He believes in keeping things simple. Now, whether you're looking for a holistic financial planner or just need help in one specific area, James would be happy to serve you. If James can help you, the best way to get in touch with him is just to call him. His cell phone is 478 973 Five zero zero one. Even though his office is in Macon, Georgia, he serves clients across the country with virtual meeting technology and just a simple old-fashioned conversation over the phone. Call or text James Barnes, 478-973-5001. Helping you protect what matters most today and always. James Barnes, a friend to the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. And once again, I'm in Grapevine, Arkansas. I've got three stories. This is the third of the three of three very interesting and different men and their Jesus stories. And I'm here with Brother Jeff Hedden. Brother Jeff, you want to greet
1: everybody? Yes, sir. Everybody out there. Good greetings to you.
0: Brother Jeff, there's several reasons I'm here. One is because I met you last year preaching revival here at Head and Chapel in Grapevine, and we kind of hit it off because we both love to hunt. We both love Jesus. Yes. But you had me over to your house, and I saw that you had killed the world slam. Yes. And we're going to talk at the end of the podcast about something even more rare than that. And I think that is a tremendous feat, and that's kind of – that's not what the podcast is about, but I think people find it interesting. Can you talk about the World Slam a minute, how you did that, how that dream even came about wanting to do it?
1: Yeah, it uh, it came up, of course, uh, when you're doing that World Slam, uh, and and is, there's six turkeys in the world. You have the uh, Osceola, the Rio Grande, the Merriam, the Eastern. All right. That's your Grand Slam, and then when you kill a... And see, when you kill the ghouls, that gives you the Royal Slam. And then when you add the Oceola, that gives you the world Slam. Right. And about what that amounts to is just having means and counting your beans and getting it all together and going. Now, I, I was fortunate on the Grand Slam. I took them all in 2002. And then I had to save my coins because I'm just an old working boy like most folks. Right. And then in 2004... We went down to Mexico and killed the, uh, uh, the ghouls turkey. And then in 2005, we went down to the Yucatan and, and killed the, uh, oscillated. Yeah, which which is, looks which like is, an
0: ostrich.
1: Uh, yeah. It looks like a cross between something, an ostrich and a peacock. So I would call it oh, it's exactly a beautiful right. bird. It's one God's creatures that, uh, you know, sometimes we, we don't, his creation is so beautiful, you know? So we, uh, that's really, it's a green bird. Right. So I invite someone over. I said, come see the green turkey. Most people say, what in this part of the country? And the circle that's killed a green turkey is mighty small. Now, in 2005, when I killed it, I think under 100 people had killed it on Earth. On Earth. So, yeah. So it's a rare club. Think, yes, it is.
0: And we got, like I said at the end, we're going to talk about something even more rare that you've accomplished in turkey hunting. But we just want to kind of hear your Jesus story. So are you from Grapevine?
1: I'm from Grapevine. I was born here August, uh, May the 24th of 1960, right up road here. Uh, when I was small, of course, my dad, Hidden uh, Chapel Church, was founded in October of 1929, and my dad helped found the church. Him and John Hedden, his uncle. They were all, Ollie Hedden the cousin, she was secretary. It's all set up. So they put the, the church in place there in 1929 so yes I was born here right up the road and uh, when I was uh, little I had asthma and uh had to go to the doctor two or three times a night so my folks decided to sell out and move to Sheridan because that was you know that was a lot of trouble carrying me to Sheridan two or three nights so we could get a shot and we were in Sheridan uh, for three year. and in 1969 we moved back right here, and I've been on this hill ever since. My, my is this parents. family land? It is family land. My, my uncle made the arrangements for this little three and a half acres when mom and dad moved back, but directly behind me here is my my grandfather, Ashcraft. That's my maternal grandpa. That's his 40 acres that he made his living on all his life. I got you. And just to carry that a little ways further, my elder son, I've got three kids. Me and Roxanne have three kids. We have Rean. Clint, and Donnie John, and they all live close. I'm blessed because I can eat with them two or three times a month. Well, actually once or twice a week is how much I eat with my kids, you know. Yeah. And Donnie John, the baby boy, now lives at my grandpa Ashcraft's house. That right is a period. blessing.
0: So, yeah. So let's talk about your childhood a little bit. Raised in church, I would guess. if your church- My
1: parents, I'm going to use this word, they toted me to church. Now, our our. Perfect English would say they carried me to church, but I want to tell you, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that send their kids to church, but my parents towed me to church. Yeah, they were there. Yeah, and, and uh, I had a lot of, what's, what's funny was, uh, you know, my dad was an older gentleman when he decided to have his family, but all my first cousins on his side are in their seventies and eighties are deceased and they can tell they uh, they said they always loved Uncle Ted. He would go down in the bottoms there and slop the hogs. He didn't go feed the hogs, he slopped them. Right. And went out there and and he would get had him stumped down there. He didn't have a prayer closet. He had a prayer stump. And right, they said and he real late on the afternoon you could hear him crying out to God down there yeah, praying. That's amazing. Yeah. So
0: serve God your whole life?
1: Well, I was raised up in church and I thought I had been cheated a lot because I never could go anywhere. In fact, our house never had any dice until Monopoly come along, but never no car. I don't know how to play you in a game of cards right now. I got you because we were shielded somewhat from that. And I thought, man, that's, that's terrible. But now I appreciate that, you know, right. where I was shit from. Yeah. Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I crossed that threshold. You Did you know, love hunting and fishing as a child? Absolutely. Well, uh, let me get into it. My dad was 40, and he married my mom in March before she turned 16 in October.
0: Your dad was 40, and your yes. mama was 16.
1: She was 15 when they got married. Now, I'm going to tell you that those folks are in jail for that nowadays. Yes, they do. <laughs> now, here's what the man that they were going to get married and my grandmother my mom's mom kind of threw a little fit over it. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think i think I. thrown a yeah, fit
1: over it, She threw a fit over it because my dad was a year older than she was. Yeah. So, here's what happened. My grandpa told her, he said, Jamie, we need to accept them with love and everything, that we can either accept it and we can have a joyful life with them, or we can be up against it and they're going to run off and no telling them what because you can't, you know, it's true love. I see it in them, and you you can't harm that. It's going to happen. They'll leave and go have their family. when we'll they never have nothing to do with it, you know. Right. So we got to accept it. So they got married. He was 40 and she was 15, and they were married 16 years before they had four kids, Cindy, uh, myself, Reuben, and uh, Rose. Now, my dad... That made him 57 when Cindy was born, 59 when I was born, 61 when Reuben was born, and 63 when Rose was born. Wow. So he was old man, and he was crippled. But I can tell you, when we go to church and the Spirit of God would hit him, he'd jump up and down on the pews.
0: Yeah. So did he like to hunt and fish? How, how did you get he, involved in that as a kid?
1: He did, but by the time we got up young, too old. by the time we got up and he was crippled, yeah. he was crippled and he he had slowed down in his 60s and he couldn't go uh i had some some friends and uh uh a man named mr carlthor harris that, that took me hunting doing all that and and my first deer i killed he put me out on the side of the road and then we were running dogs back in which that's good deer hunting you know nowadays we we think it's deer hunting as you get up there and it's more or less like shooting a cow he's coming to you feeding everything back in we run them dogs we knew where they was crossing. And back in, I could, I could even shoot them across that road. Now they never be standing still for me to kill a deer. But
0: <laughs> Well, I, uh, you know, yes. I was telling somebody just tell earlier, I think when we were at the first taping that I, I grew up in a culture of dog.
1: Yes, sir. Where they
0: hunt dog, uh, deer with dogs. I don't want to do that every time, but I don't feel like it's a good season if I don't do it at least a time or two every year. I, it's very enjoyable.
1: I love doing the time or two. It is enjoyable, but I can tell you the woods in this part of Arkansas right, right now is silence. You yeah. know, there's no dog running, landowners, you know. they well, it made
0: it really hard. I don't know about here it where is. I live. You, ha- you can't even put a dog out unless you've got 2,000 acres
1: left. That's right. And and they cross and right here. As soon as you'd let them go, you had about three roads you could cut them off of. Because when they got in Saline River Bottoms, you'd get your dogs back in about a week. Yeah. So if you was going to hunt all week, you better kill whatever crossed the road.
0: Yeah. So this fellow, what's his name that began to take you
1: home? Carthell Harris. He kind of taught you? He did. He put me out on the side of the road. And, and uh, of course, he, he knew where this was going to turn loose. And that, I, I probably knew I had the best chance of killing one. I was 13. And he handed me an 1100 gun, 1100 Remington automatic with double-alt buckshot. A lot of people shot number one buckshot, but he had double-alt because he had patterned that gun to right. find out what it shoot. Most people just say, I'm going to shoot number one. Right. So the dogs jumped. He put me out, and when they came, it was three of them, and I killed two of them. Mister Harris pulled up. He said, "Would you get you one?" I said, "I got two of them." He said, "Well, how many was it?" I said, "It was three." He said, "Why didn't you kill that third one?" I said, "This gun jammed on me." <laughs> so, <laughs> so back then it was—I uh I don't know if it was it- what year would that have been. That would have been in 1973. I would okay. have been 13. Now, in 1914, uh, 1974, in the fall that year, I took it upon myself going back to the turkey hunt and went up the bottom. Of course, we was a lot more mature back then than kids are now. You know, I was running around by myself with a gun when I was 13, 14 years yeah. old. I walked up Hurricane Bottoms by myself. Had an old lynch box call and sat down, and started calling, didn't know nothing about it, and heard a man coming to me in the woods sounding something like this. Ch-ch-ch. I said, Well, there's a man out here. Maybe he's hunting too. And I got to look, got a little louder. Ch-ch-ch. And before I know it, here's a turkey. And I shot it, and killed. That's the first one I killed when I was fourteen years old. Solo, yes, sir. Solo by myself, fourteen years old. Not you. many kids' parents would let their kids go out and out fourteen and hunt by themselves. Uh, that's
0: right. I think in Alabama, you can't even sit by yourself in a deer stand till you fourteen. No,
1: you got to have papers and everything. Right now, you got to be registered to hunt here, and then till you sixteen years old, you. <laughs> you got to have a adult with you. But times has changed, and. But you know, uh, quite a bit of difference between now and nineteen seventies. Back in that time.
0: So your dad did he pass away when you were young?
1: Ah, uh, he got to see all of through school. He died when he was eighty three, which I was twenty two. So he got to see all his kids graduate high school. And my mom uh, just uh, died last August. She was ninety two. Yeah. And uh, you know, one thing about my mom and dad they they got married like that, and man. Told him, he said, "Now, Ernestine, you've been married. I know you've been raised up in a good Christian home, and I'm gonna say a little bit about that." My grandmother went down here to Hidden Chapel, and my grandpa Ashcraft told her, he said, "Jamie, if you go down there and get that dust on you or whatever it is," and he was referring to the Holy Spirit, the dust, the dust or whatever they're sprinkling on them people down there It makes I'm them go never, crazy and I'm, holler and speak in them other languages. He said, "You're gonna have to leave here."
0: I've never heard that in my life.
1: Well, she went to a revival. And come home at night and walk right in there and drug out an old suitcase. She had one suitcase and start putting clothes in. He said, what are you doing? She said, Army, I've got the Holy Ghost. And I know you told me when I got it, I got to leave. So I'm packing. He said, hold hold, hold on just a minute now. We need to talk about this. So so he started explaining that to him. And just to make a long story short, before long, he went and got saved and become a song leader. And, you know, that's some more of that Christian heritage in my family. But they told my mom, said, uh, you uh, have been raised up in a good Christian home. Now, you've got to be 18 years old to get married. So here's what I want you to do when you and Ted go up there. Take a piece of paper, write the number 18 on it, and he circled it. He said, put this in your shoe. So when they ask you, are you 18, you can say, yes, I'm over 18, and you won't be lying. Oh, my God! <laughs> I'm over 18. So that's what they did. She uh, said, Ted, how are you? He said, well, I'm I'm 40. How old are you, Ernestine? She said, well, I'm over 18. So they tied the knot with them. <laughs> oh, I got you.
0: So can you, t- let's talk about your Jesus story just in a minute. When when did you accept, can you take me to the moment when you accepted it? I was him?
1: real young at Vacation Bible School. Yeah. Right down here at Hidden yeah. Chapel. And i done it, I, I was I raised up in church, like I said, every time the doors open across the threshold. You know, but when I, when I got out of high school, I loaded up in an 18-wheeler with a friend of mine, and we went to Fat City, which was a branch down in New Orleans. And I didn't know there was a world like that. So I went down there with all uh what we call there was a lot of lost people, or sometimes we refer to them like you preached the other night as heathers. Heathers, full of heathers. And you know, once you start hanging around a heathen, it don't take you long to become one. Right. So I I did stray. I had some uh, you know, I left the church and uh, and and I hate to say it, but I have actually uh um uh, you know, went down the road to where I still went to church. I was trying to make it. I was trying to make me look good, but I actually had to get up out of Sunday school and go outside and throw up the alcohol that I had induced in my system. So there before. was a
0: time you were away from the. Lord. I was
1: away from the Lord, and then I got to when I didn't do it. I, At
0: what age did that rebellion begin?
1: I'm gonna say around nineteen, and I think that happens a lot in there. Yeah. You know, you know, I was smarter than mom and dad. I was the smartest cookie out there. I had to learn my own. Right and, uh what was funny, I, I, you know, I, I met my wife and, and, uh, brought Roxanne out. She was, she was raised in a, a church a little bit. And I brought her down here one night and the spirit moved and they had prayed over a lady called Sister Womble. And whenever the preacher hit her, the spirit hit her and she hit that ground like a ton of bricks. And Roxanne touched me. She said, Do you see what that preacher done? I said, What? He pushed the other woman down. I said, no, no. I said, Bailey, I said, I'll explain this to you later, but that's the spirit. I said, you watch when she gets up and it'll be like nothing ever happened. <laughs> it scared her. It scared my wife. <laughs> I got you. She would vouch for that, but Sister Womble got up. She was probably about 80 years old and was sprung back up. like well, you know, after she'd laid there and soaked all that good stuff up got up like a spring chicken, okay. but you know, I had rebelled, but once I'd got married and come back in and, and me and Roxanne, uh, uh you know I rededicated my life to the Lord and, and we had three kids, you know, and and uh so when they were younger, now Reanne's thirty-six now, Clint's thirty-two, Donna John's twenty-eight, and back when they were teenagers, I decided I would take them to New Orleans, to Bourbon Street, a little bit before I did. I went down there when I was nineteen and it engaged me. So whatever engages you, you can use the same thing to disengage someone. So I carried them down to Bourbon Street. Not at night when there's the glorious lights and all the old, you know, everything's covered up with the neon lights. There's a lot of laughing and carrying on, a lot of the atmosphere that's dim and everything. But I took them at 8.30 in the morning. They had all the doors rolled up. They actually had water uh Hoses, they were washing all the. Were were people that had too much liquor in them and had threw it They were right. washing it, and my kids said, "Daddy, this stinks. We we don't care that." So, I turned them away from that early in their life, you know. So I don't know that either one of them's ever been back down to Bourbon Street since <laughs> a experience. I that, a very one, so. good parenting. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you, at what age, if you were nineteen, what what age did you think you came back and? I'll, Turned your life around.
1: I'm going to say after my daughter was born, because, you know, back then I would have a beer or two in the refrigerator, and I wouldn't really drink it for myself. I'd drink it for other people, you know, yeah. you know, when they'd come on whatever. And I decided that it was time to, you know, you had to give your kids a choice. If you don't bring them up, if you don't raise them in church and give them a choice, it's on you. If you raise them in church and give them a choice, it's on them. Right. You know. So uh, I, I'm going to say Ann was probably uh, uh, a year old, and what made me turn from that is Roxanne was cutting hair, and she she might have been two. She was just trying to talk good. And, uh, of course, we'd have friends over, and and one of them say, hey, how about a drink of whiskey? And, you know, weekends, you've done all that, you know, you're straight from the Lord, you know. And what really turned me over when Roxanne was doing the lady's hair one day, Miss Reynolds. And Rianne was in there, and she had her toys and had a little cup, and uh, she was asking Miss Reynolds, "How about a drink of whiskey?" This baby been around with that going on, and Rianne, uh, of course, Roxanne knew what she was asking, and she was ignoring it. And before long, Miss Reynolds said, "Roxanne, do you know what this baby's asking me?" And Roxanne said, "Well, well I don't really know. She's asked me do I want to drink a drink of whiskey." So when Roxanne told me that story, you know, to be worth your salt, you got to turn things around. Right. And it was time. Now, some of some of my old friends that went down that road didn't turn around because I uh, did. And one of them who, uh, Robert Derry, a good friend of mine who, uh, passed away last year, but it took him a while to come back to the Lord. Yeah. You know, and you got to have, if you have as much influence on people for good stuff as you do for bad stuff. That's right. And, uh, you know, Robert turned his, his life over to the Lord and, and, uh, he, he went in the, uh, uh, hospital one day and just going to have a procedure. And, uh, you know, things went south and, and, uh, he, he didn't come back out of the hospital, but right. we know but where he was we're ready. ready. Yes. Absolutely.
0: All right. we're going to take a break right here. We will come back, finish up a segment, and then we're going to talk about, finish up maybe with that really really rare thing that happened to you we'll talk about it yes sir but this is lee mcbride i'm here with jeff Hedden and you're listening to the hidden hook podcast I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Hidden Hook Podcast. We can only do this podcast because of contributors and sponsors. If you're interested in being a sponsor on the Hidden Hook Podcast, it's very easy. You can go to leemcbride.com, hit the Hidden Hook button, or you can reach me at lee at leemcbride.com. We'd love to have you on the team at the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. I'm here with Jeff Hedden. So you have come back to the Lord. God used a story with your child to do that Yep. and talk to me about being used of God because you're a leader, not only in the church and the community and you use the giftings and some of the things you love to do to reach out to witness and to disciple and to just grow people. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, uh, you know, along with uh, my hunting, I, uh, you know, I started uh, taxidermy when I was 14, and I've had several shops. Now I operate a shop here, and I get more work than I can do. I, uh, you know, I, I work through uh, about 50 to 60 deer heads a year, and I don't have my name in the phone book. I don't have a sign out front. I don't hand a flyer out. And, uh, besides working at the paper mill, the the good Lord has blessed me with that. And the witness, you know, you get a lot of, you meet a lot of people through that. And you witness a lot through it. Like one thing, and I have, I think I give you the poster of my you son did. a couple of years ago when we were out in Oklahoma, it up in my office. it's the silhouette and he killed there. And I put two scriptures with it. One's from Genesis and it talks there. I, I can't quote it because I don't have it in front of me, but the fowls of the air, the animals, everything, everything, God put us over them. And, uh. Uh, I put that on there. And then in Galatians, and I can't quote that, but it says there, if we, if we strive and do what we can, we will reap a harvest, Right. you know? So those things, you know, there's scriptures in the Bible that even apply to you in all forms of life, even if you're a turkey hunter. So them, them, uh, you know, apply to us doing that. So, you know, when I get that little poster up and people read it and you know, that opens a door, right. So you might, you know, you you can talk about the good Lord and how he's blessed you. And then you can say, they they say, did you kill this here? Of course, I got smells. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll break. It. Well, it's just, you know, I've been blessed with health and strength. That old asthma I had when I was a kid never bothers me anymore. I can breathe, you know, and, and don't have no trouble. And i just been blessed to, uh, you know, to do that. I've been in Alaska, killed a moose and caribou and, the good Lord just blessed me with a multitude of, uh, uh, blessings that, uh, and, and circles that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, but you know, uh, he's been really good to you and if you will share his love with other people, uh, things happen good. Now I'm going to tell you of an instance in Alaska, we'd got back, uh, and he's a good Baptist friend of mine, Tom Pierre, and we had got back from Alaska and my, uh, pastor, had asked me. He said, Jeff, you? He's concerned. He said, did you go to church while you was up there? I said, no, Pastor, but we had church. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, look, me and old Tom rode out uh, to Hot Springs, yeah. Circle Hot Springs, and we rode out in the boonies where no one was at. And on a Friday afternoon, the next night, here comes this little little rig in there come in there guy got out sitting up a camp where we went on word meeting we invited him over to stay with us and we taught him we told him we were christians we asked him to hunt with us so we hunted together for three days we eat together for three days and at the end of that three days is you know church is good do right. not forsake assembling yourselves together right. but do not depend yeah. on a building to have church in You can have it out there where nobody else is at. We ate with that man. We broke bread with him. We went hunting with him. And at the end of that three days when we were going back, he made a confession to us. Wow. He said, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I have not been very strong in my faith, which meant he hadn't really been doing like he ought to do. He said, but I'm going to get back to that, and I'm going to correct some things I've been idle on.
0: Yeah.
1: So you don't, you know, they, so like I told the preacher, I said, I didn't go to church while I was up there, but I had church. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah.
0: So you, you, in the community, in the church, you use, God's given us the the, the, the the things in our heart that we love. He's given us an opportunity to do those things, and you can use those things often at any time to reach out.
1: Yeah, he'll use them and let you open the door with it and go further.
0: So, being in the World Slam, I'm going to look it up before I, before we edit this podcast, and it'll be in the introduction. But there's only in in '06 or 05, if it was less than a hundred, there can't be but a few hundred have done it.
1: That's probably right. I hadn't looked lately, but you're I I, I would dare say there's probably less than uh, probably three hundred yeah. now. Yeah.
0: So you have accomplished. A feat in turkey hunting and he was more rare than that. Can you tell us that story? Talk about it.
1: I can tell you the story. I've, I've made a, uh, of course I got a good, a lot of good friends that I'm not going to mention out here in the world with, uh, you know, uh, Daniel Thomas and Mike Dobson and lots of people. Daniel was, you know, with me when I killed my mountain lion, you know, and, yeah. and Mike Dobson, uh, killed a moose, you know, and, and uh ashley spears and russell owens they've they've gone on now but you know and that's how old i'm getting i'm going where a lot of my friends is is going on now but uh uh back to the the rarity of a bird uh, i had met a guy and uh he had invited me to come up and i actually made a monster out of him his his name is is scott russell in tennessee and uh he he came down and and I was actually working on a crew out the mill and, and we got a big job finished up. And I asked him and his boss to come one night. Just them left at about 13. We repaired a big 42 inch pipeline. And I said, y'all come out to the, there's the only ones closing and, and prepping and breaking and loading the rental equipment and getting loaded. I said, y'all come out to the house one night. The kids going to be there and we're having the hamburgers. Y'all are going home tomorrow. Oh, we don't want to do that. I said, yeah, come on. So I met Scott and he come in and he was enticed. With the mounts and everything so uh got him cranked up and he has started hunting and and he is a monster for hunting now he's uh last year he killed a 26 inch nine point pointed velvets going into Popignon. I was wow. there to witness that. So uh, two or three year, and I've hunted with him four or five years. So he invited me up to Tennessee, and we were hunting, and we always uh, would get on. Of course, he, he liked to run cameras, you know. And uh, we he got on his laptop one night, and we're looking at deer and turkey pictures, you know, from last fall and everything. He's breezing through them there. And I see this turkey there with some deer, and I said, he's, I said, whoa, whoa, back up, back up. He said, why? I said, but, no, back up one more. I said, look at that turkey there. He said, yeah, it's a turkey. I said, no, look, at, look him over real good. He said, well, he's a turkey, Jeff. I said, no, look at his wings. What's different? And he said, well, I don't know. What are you talking about? I said, he has no white bars in his wing feathers. He said, Oh my word, and we flipped back through and seen the others and I explained to him what I'd seen. Uh regular turkey has white and black bars right. in their in their feathers. This one didn't have a a white bar in his turkey wings. So that night we nicknamed him Crow Wing.
0: So how rare is that?
1: Well, uh, I didn't know at the time. I well I know part of it, but the rarity is that there's three, actually four color phases in the wild turkey. One's the albino. Okay. The next one is the smoky phase, which I think everyone might have seen a smoke face turkey. They're kind of smoky. They're more common in hens. And then, um, uh, I'm actually mounted a gobbler that was killed in Mississippi in 96. It was smoke face. And then there is the red face, which is uh, a barrier, uh, red. And, uh, I mounted that one. My, my cousin, Keith Clement, right down here in Grapevine, Arkansas, killed it about eight years ago, and we mounted it, but the rarest bird is the blackface, and the Wild Turkey Federation has him, here's how rare they say he is, they say he is one in 50,000. Wow. So, to put that up against it, I'll go ahead and finish my story. We found this. So
0: tell me again, where y'all, the pictures were from a former hunt, but where were y'all hunting?
1: We were hunting on on a friend of mine's grandpa's farm, and it's just 80 acres. In Arkansas? Well, we were in Fairview, Tennessee. Fairview, Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, we are hunting on his grandpa's uh, farm there. So we decided the first morning we went and hunted another place. And when I laid down that night after seeing the pictures, I sent a prayer up. And I, I don't believe you should do this. Pray for stuff. It's like football game. I don't think you should pray to win a football game. You should pray that everyone is healthy and safe and everyone does that. I don't think you should pray for a particular animal. I think you should pray that, you know, you're blessed or whatever. Now I got to be honest with you. I stepped to the plate up to the plate that night over this and I said, Lord, I hadn't asked you for a lot of things, but you have blessed me. But if you will bless me with this bird, I will sing your glory over the story. So the next morning we got out, we didn't even hunt on that place, and I'm thinking I'm thinking, Lord Lord, help me out here. We're not even hunting where the bird was seen. (laughs) You know, some you know, man makes plans and God laughs. That's what it does. We make plans and God laughs. So I'd planned on going in there after that bird the next morning. My plans, and God laughed when we didn't even go near the place. We hunted in another area. Now, the next morning, we, uh, we decided to go in there. Uh, my friend, old Scott, he was going to hunt up just 80 acres. He was going to hunt up close to the barn. He had a blind put up. He said, we're going to go back there and build your blind. And I said, no, I can build my own blind. I said, I can cut and do everything. I said, we, you know, I don't want to disturb it no more than I have to. He said, where are you going to hunt? I said, well, that old gap back there, I want to be close to that gap. And I said, I'll just take my clippers and clip me some cedar. I'll get over in that fence row, and hopefully when they come through that gap, because they didn't roost on the place, I said, I'll be close enough, you know, if I can call him in there close enough, you know, to kill him. So that's what we done. Went up there, and, and I, and I built me a blind early, got in there early that morning. He stayed up there at the barn, and, and uh, they didn't roost on the place, but I carried my, my video camera. I'm going to self film it, you know, turkey hunting, you know. Now I had this, I had this black wing bird, old crow wing on my mind, but I wasn't really banking on it, you know. I said, he may be still being there. And there was pictures back in the fall when I was looking. So I went ahead and set my blind up and, uh, uh, I don't know after daylight uh didn't hear no uh goblin away far off uh no goblin right there on the place but way far off i heard some and then they were kind of in a winter pattern the parade started coming the goblin the calc the yelping it was all coming jake's calc the hens yep the gobbler's goblin to a tune of probably Uh, 18 to 20 birds in this flock. Good gracious. And I said, they're going to bust this gap wide open. I'm going to bust the first time it comes through it. You know, I'm turkey hunting in Tennessee. I got to mark myself up. You know, I got to get on the board.
0: Right. Break
1: the ice. That's right. My plans were for them to come through that gap. Well, God laughed again because before they got to the gap, they crossed the fence on a white oak tree that was blown down about 80 yards before they got to me. Well, 80 yards is now. I don't know, uh, brother Lee, but uh, you know, I hear there's turkey guns that will shoot that far now, but you, you can't get this boy shooting that far. I wouldn't even take that shot. Yeah, no, sir. So, uh, these birds come through the fence on the blow down tree and they come right out there. Now, what was funny, two gobblers stayed behind. They're about 80 yards off the side of the hill. The rest of the birds walked through the hollow, went up on another hill. My buddy had. He had bush hogged and kept that real breeding grounds you know strut zones and everything they liked it so they come in there to breed so i've got my camera i've got it set up and uh you know i'm gonna film that morning so i swing my camera around i'm down behind some grass and i have got to go to a manual focus so i can shoot through the weeds and focus on the birds these two that stayed they were probably insubordinate birds the subordinate gobblers or the big toms that carried the, the hens on up. Well, they were just there gobbling so they could gobble a hen up and drumming, you know. They're going to get lucky without fighting, you know. So they're looking for the girlfriend. And uh, so I get this camera and get it on it. And uh, I'm working on the focus and I reach to grab for my specs, my glasses, my eyeballs. And I, I don't have them with me. found out later that morning they were laying on console truck so i'm looking through there and i say, lord help me get this focus right you know i couldn't even tell if i was in focus on the little screen on the video camera so i thought i had it close and we're filming and this whole hunt took about an hour uh these these they were just off the side hill to tell where they were strutting and gobbling and you would see them when their head went down their tail come up
0: as I travel the country, I sell thousands of hats every year. Well, one of our sponsors for the Hidden Hook podcast is Chris Blackburn, and he owns a company called Stitch Central in Columbus, Georgia. Stitch Central Custom Embroidery and Apparel Shop. You can reach him at 706 327 9989 or at stitchcentral at aol.com. Stitch Central, a friend of the Hidden Hook Podcast.
1: So these two old gobblers are dancing in about a 15 foot circle and had done it for an hour and they're gobbling. But you know, if, if we're hunting a lot of times, if that old gobbler ain't saying nothing, I've, I've learned you be patient. Patience works on turkey hunting. That's, that's your only friend. Uh, but anyway, they were there dancing in that circle for about an hour. Uh, finally, they had rolled off side of the hill. I'm calking, calling to them real light, doing a little bit of purring. And when they went off side of the hill down in the hollow, they disappeared. Now, when they come back up, I shoot the first bird and shot him down. Shot, you know, he flopped one time. Now, when that one flop, he flopped back down the hill. So
0: you stuck with strategy. You shot the first Tom, come through.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Is that greediness or that's just being no, smart? No, I
0: think it's <laughs> discipline that you stayed with your strategy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, I was there to kill a bird. Right. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, so I, I got my bird. So he flopped back down the hill out of sight. Well, uh, you know, I, I, my phone vibrated and it's my friend Scott. And he says, did you get him? I said, I we're texting. I said, got him. He said, is it crow wing? I said, no but you know it's eight o'clock i said let's hunt till 10 if crow wing's still here you can get him or i may get him or or you can get you a bird you know right so uh at about nine the the morning went on and, and finally so you weren't
0: tempted to t- tip down that hill and see what it was
1: no, because you know, I knew Scott, you know, I just I, I just wanted to sit there, okay. you know, and because okay. a lot of activity still going on. I'm I'm still four hundred yards. I can see birds strutting and and, and dancing with hands. So I don't want to get up, you know. Uh I don't want to disturb Scott from getting one, even though he's you know, he's quarter away or whatever close, you. you know. So uh we just sit there. Well about a quarter till ten he texts, he said, I'm on my way. I said, Well come on. So I start picking up my my stuff and everything and uh, he gets there and he says well i said i think i got it on film but i said i don't know i couldn't i I couldn't i ain't got my glasses get my focus right i said uh he said he's a good bird i said oh yeah they were right down there i couldn't tell much about them i could only see their heads and their tails because it's just offside here on the island so he said all right what do you want to do with that uh what you want to do uh with your camera here i said i'm gonna set it up and we're just gonna do like a recovery you're just gonna be talking i'm gonna go down pick a bird up you come to me we're gonna talk about it he said great so go down and pick this bird up and lee it is crowing and you're on film i'm on film did you fall apart i I felt yes i caved I caved in the, you don't know how much joy. Oh, I can't imagine. They come, I mean, I was actually speechless and he even went, you know, it was just wild, you know, but it was great. Now, you know, and, and that being a, a rare bird of one in 10,000, I can tell one you, in 50, one in 50,000, one in 50,000. That's right. Now, now you can, uh, you can go hunt this world slam and the only rarity on the world slam. Now that isolated bird, he is green and copper and white he don't gobble this is what he does so he don't gobble he's got this one more time he he's got a drum but like i said if you've got money if you've got me and diligent and diligent and take care and count your beans. You can go obtain that world slam, right? But I'm telling you, only the good Lord, right, can bless you with a rare bird—one in fifty thousand, right. Now I'm gonna tell you the three blessings. Actually, there's four miracles happening here. Number one, the good Lord granted me my, you know, what I'd ask it for to bless me with with, with this, you know. Now. After going back over the film, the focus on it is perfect. Didn't have my glasses. Didn't have my glasses. Didn't have my glasses, but it couldn't have been. It's broadcast. I got a high definition camera. It's unreal. Uh, the footage of it. Now that's number two miracle. Number three, when those birds left, they kind of come up on the hill. I didn't, didn't know it then, but looking at the the film after that, old crow wing. He was in the back. He was the second bird. Time they went off side of the hill, he become the lead bird. I shot the lead bird. Miracle number three. Now miracle number four was, and I truly believe this, with with without me having the knowledge that that was Crow Wing, I would have fell apart. And no doubt oh my- in my mind. When he come up, I would have been shaking so much. Ain't no way I could have helped that beat on his head. That's right. So there's four miracles. The good Lord blessed me with well on that hunt, right and there.
0: And a story to tell.
1: A story to tell. Now I'm going to tell you one more. If you got time.
0: I got time.
1: Uh, I had a first cousin. And this is all turkey. I'm as the boys at work say, heading. You'll go deer hunting. Just just to go and get out and have a good time. But when it comes to turkey hunting, you're you're pretty. You know, you're, you you pretty well get you but you know, I, I like to have a good time when I'm turkey hunting. I don't like for the turkey hunting to rule me, I like to rule it, you yeah. know. So I like to do it. But the, the last one here is good and it's pretty dear to my heart. I had a uh, I had a cousin a couple of years ago and she was uh dying of cancer and uh and my mom was still in. So I'd go see my mom in the nursing home and, and then I'd go see Benita. Benita was my dad's uh niece. She's my first cousin. And like I said, well, dad being so old, you know, she was about 76 and she's been gone three years now. But I went over there and she had an old family book. She was doing ancestry work before it was easy. Now, back in the 70s, she was going back, digging up senses and all this. She had a lot of family pictures and she drug, I'd go over there one, one Sunday afternoon. She drug an old photo album out and it was a picture of two pair of mules It had uh, logs on the mules. There was a kid, two men, and then two older men in the picture. Now, the kid was my dad's uh, older brother, Willie. One of the other men that's holding up two wooden uh, wedges sitting on one of the logs is John uh, Smith Hedden, which helped bring Hedden Chapel in the existence down here the other one was my grandpa samuel hunter and he was also one of the charter members and then my great grandpa john wesley finley he's standing there holding a, a old shotgun and then james monroe owens and this picture i have figured out was took in 1914 i have done that so i was over visiting benita one day and we talked about this picture she said jeff as much as you like to hunt wouldn't it be great for you to have grandpa finley's old gun and who knows where it's at but wouldn't it be great for you to have it you know and i said it would and she said look at him he's standing there in that picture he's got that white beard coveralls on and he's holding that old gun wouldn't it be great for you to have it i said yes so come on that night and uh I don't know if you want to call it deja vu or whatever. And I said, I've seen that gun before. So I go to my closet and there's that gun.
0: And how did it get in your closet?
1: It had been around since I was a kid. My dad had it. Now, it makes full sense that my daddy's older brother died before his dad did. And then his dad died. Well, he, he got the gun, you know. But my dad, for whatever reason, never ever told me that was his grandpa's gun. The only thing he told me was, "Boy, if you shoot that thing, it'll leave a bruise on your shoulder for about two weeks." I said, How hey, you know, Dad?" He said, "Well, I had some dogs kill some chickens, and they got under the barn and laid down and shot 'em. I had a bruise on my shoulder for two weeks." I went to the closet, got this gun out, and you can look at that old picture and and until it's old stevens gun and on top of the barrel it says patented august the 12th 1913. grandpa finley died november the 5th of 1914 so what what he done is got this i think that fall sometime During the fall of nineteen thirteen, in the winter of fourteen, this picture was took when he was still up and going. And back then, they said he got sick in a matter of three days. He was he he went from being real good to dead. So sometime during that, so I've got this back to nineteen fourteen. So, I took that, and I had actually finished the barrel, the stock, and forearm on it. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if 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 I can take this hundred and six year old gun? And kill a wild turkey with it. Here it is. It's, it's you know, not. I, I mean, the world slam is something. Crow wing is something. The the black phase of the wild turkey, the rarest one, one of 50,000. But to have your great grandpa's gun to kill a turkey with it, and it's a hundred six years old. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> that, that I, I mean, That's i amazing. Hey, and you know what? I always tell my kids, don't shortcut the simple things in life because they mean the most to you. So what meant the most to me was to try to kill a turkey with my great-grandpa, uh, John Wesley Finley's gun. So we had a, uh, a, the the it needed some work on it, so I got it in gunsmith, and I didn't get it during the Arkansas hunt, so I got it out. I had a trip planned to Kansas, so I carried it with me. And uh, carried my video camera again. Took that old bird, that old gun, in there by myself. Now, did I buy these hot rod turkey loads? No, I didn't want to blow that old gun up. I just got some regular old number sixes. Went in there, got it on film. You know, calling that bird in and killing that turkey with my great grandpa's old hundred and sixty old gun. And I took there. I took that picture of me because i even after i I grew a white beard and it's white because i'm 60 but a white beard and then i took a picture and i've got uh, a picture of that now and i'm getting a shadow box built for it and and i put the picture of him in 1914 holding a gun and i tried to do the same stance with a white beard and holding a gun and uh well uh, brother tom asked about the shoulder my dad I never knew him to lie, and he didn't lie about the gun either because my shoulder went from a dark purple to a blue to a green to finally a yellow. In about two weeks, the bruise was gone. So. That's a
0: fantastic story. So if somebody's out here listening, they love the outdoors, uh, and, and they're looking for a way to use the outdoors to – reach out to people who are lost or to maybe take kids hunting what can you say as an encouragement to them about when god gives you the desire of your heart using it for the kingdom
1: absolutely and you know if if you ever have to question something you do in your whole life is it right or wrong simply ask yourself am i doing it for the kingdom of god right and that answer your question that's right if it's not for the kingdom you don't need to be doing it. Right. So as a hunter, something you love and we all do as hunters and fishermen. And and you know, not have to be you can be a fisherman, you can be you can play baseball, football, whatever. And, and and you may not know it in a little small place like we live in here, but people will look up to you. That's right. For whatever reason. That's right. And when they look up for you, you need to give them something to, and we all got our faults, don't get me wrong. But they need to look up to Good stuff. Now, most people, it's hard to see the good in people, but it's easy to see the bad. Right. So that means you have to be the best you can be, and that's whether you're hunting, fishing, or whatever. And a man told me one time, he said, you may think you know a man, but you go hunting with him for three days. And you'll know him He's after exactly three right. days. He's Just exactly three right. days you'll know a man. You may think you know him, He's but exactly three days right. of hunting, fishing, or any kind of activity, right. you'll know exactly what kind of man that is. So you can you can use any activity you in. It don't have to be hunting or whatever. To, to bring the glory now that needs to be a desire of your heart and we, we have to work on that it's not something you can do all the time you know we we have to uh, we have to come to reasoning and it needs to be uh, like I heard you preach you don't run to the line you run past the line that's right. so what you do is you focus way out under I always said that's uh, uh, why I you know I hadn't had many accidents in my life and I call myself a pretty good hunter uh driver and everything, but, you know, the reason I didn't get up and and, and go down there and run after that turkey, because I was looking at those turkeys way off afar. Right. So I didn't want to disturb that hunt. You know, I, I, my friend might have got one. He didn't be the good have. Being a hunter, I mean a driver, you can't drive just looking at the car in front of you. You have to be looking way down the road. Right. You have to, you know, you need to see that we're going to have to stop before this car ahead of you ever puts the brake lights right. on. Right, right. You know, you that's part of being a good driver is looking way down the road. So like your sermon, you don't run to the line. You run through the line. That's so right. anything you do, you you want to do it in that, in that case.
0: Well, I've had a great time here hearing your story. It's going to minister to outdoorsmen. You got, I guess, two of the greatest turkey accomplishments anybody could have. A lot of people listen to the Hidden Hook podcast love to turkey hunt. Yeah. But most important, I appreciate your heart for the kingdom. For other people and for the Lord. Absolutely. And uh, you being not only a leader in your church, but a leader in the community, it's been an honor to be here. I'm here with Jeff Hedden, Crow Wing. Do do you have a nickname, Brother Jeff? What do they call you? I do.
1: Uh, My nickname was hung on me right after, well, during high school, it's Sputnik.
0: Sputnik? Like the Sputnik?
1: Yep sputnik was the first russian satellite put in orbit now why they hung me and 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 right now i will talk to someone who i hadn't talked to in years and they'll call me up and say sputnik what are you doing so
0: <laughs> i got you
1: so if uh you know uh i, I guess that's something to uh i, I i'm kind of proud of that nickname sputnik and i i still answer to it
0: what's your favorite movie
1: my favorite movie is, uh, I guess one of me and my wife went to see when we started dating and it was, what was it, Roxanne? The coal miner's daughter. Really? Yes, sir. That's good. You know Why I like it? Uh-uh. Because it's true. That's true. There's nothing fake about it. It tells you the whole story. And, and here's, uh, you can take from it. Them two we was talking about a while ago, Loretta Lynn, but that they have been married for a long time and they've been through some ups and downs, but they have, they have worked through it, and even today, I, I guess they're still married today. I think both of them are still living. So, that coal miner's daughter is my favorite movie, other than the movie of Watch Me Shoot Old Crow Wing. That's, That's probably right, my favorite movie, but I can't produced. share that with
0: everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great to be here. You've been listening to Lee McBride. I'm here with Jeff Hedden, Grapevine, Arkansas, and you're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hidden Hook Podcast. The Hidden Hook Podcast is produced by our executive producer, Steve Rayborn, and it is mixed and edited in Steve Rayborn Music Studios. I also want to thank a contributing producer and editor, Maria Fowler. Lee McBride is the founder and the host of the Hidden Hook Podcast, and you can reach him at Lee at LeeMcBride.com. Thanks. God bless you. Roll tight.